Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. You might think the Rugby World Cup warm-up matches are totally irrelevant to what's going to happen in the competition itself. And for many countries, you'd probably be right. But when it comes to this country, our quadrennial World Cup psychodrama can, and indeed often does, begin in these seemingly innocuous fixtures. The writing was already on the wall in 2007 when we had to rely on a controversial late Ron O'Gara try to beat Italy at Raven Hill in our final warm-up game. Remember that, everybody? No, probably not. But wait, 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 wait. We got to play another warm-up match in Bayonne that year against a French club team who pre- proved more than eager to bash Brian O'Driscoll's sinus in. Going to Twickenham in 2019, shipping 57 points against England. That didn't feel great at the time, and it doesn't look any better in retrospect. In that context, things probably couldn't have gone much better against Italy on Saturday night. Hey, Murph. Hey, si. Hey, Owen. How's it hey, going? Hey, Owen. Hey, Murph. Shane Horgan has particularly grim memories of World Cup warm-up campaigns, and he's going to be on the show today. You were actually at Ravenhill in 2007, Simon. You were one of the few people who remember seeing that dodgy run try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before I head off in my uh, little uh, truck with all the radio gear for News Talk, uh, Ireland were awful start to finish in that game. And don't forget, at that stage, we were thinking we might be the best team in the world. And Odriska was talking us up and we can win World Cups. We were saying all that for the first time. But even the try to win it was a forward pass. And then Raj didn't ground it properly. But the ref was like, ah, Ireland probably won that oh, game. Oh, it was doubly but dodgy. The, that was it. Yeah, the Italians yeah. were fuming, weren't they? Like That absolutely yeah. would have been a famous win for them. And we just get this scrappy victory that in, in the end, we might have been better off losing that match and had a few more alarm bells going off at that point. Yeah, and the denial started good and early for that World Cup because Odrisco wasn't playing in that game. And as you remember back then, it was a binary case of uh, if he's not playing, uh, everything will go badly. And if he's playing, it'll be okay. He can fix everything. All he needs is a bruising encounter with a famously aggressive ill-disciplined French club side in France ahead of a World Cup in France. <laughs> get his touch in. Just get his eyes in. Get his eyes caved in. Get yeah. his eyes out. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, caved in. I'm, <laughs> I'm somewhat concerned that we're going back to Bayonne for could we, a game could we against Samoa. Could we have played that somewhere else? Could we have played that in Biritz? No, or the, the players or loved the 2007 base so much that they've decided <laughs> to go back to the same hotel. Is, is this actually the case, Simon? T- please tell me <laughs> that's not like, what's actually happening here. They, they had to eat in McDonald's because the chef, the French chef was so bad. No, we're, we're, we're not signing up for another bout of that, I presume. Are Andy we? Farrell, no, yeah. I'm sure we're at different hotels. Andy Farrell has got a, a what, what I would term, an I've got this vibe going on at the moment he seems pretty chilled he's only playing three warm-up matches he's it's all a nice and it all sounds nice and loose he's not obsessing about how big we need to be and how super fit we need to be at this point going into the tournament he seems a few points with the lads it'll be grand yeah exactly yeah just give it a lash in the famous old irish rugby parlance yep. so i think i think it's okay i'm going to trust him for the time being until obviously we scapegoat him after we get knocked out in the <laughs> First round by South Africa and an increasingly dangerous looking Why Scottish are so team. Unfit? Uh, yeah, exactly. Ireland beat Italy 33-17 on Saturday night. I'm sick of him getting man of the match. I'm sick of it, quipped Andy Farrell about Caelan Doris. Yes, Murph, a back rower was player of the match, but there's a twist. I know. Doris was pl- normally plays eight or indeed six, but this time he was playing seven. So it's It just, just goes to show different. the versatility required to win man of the match uh, uh, in, a, in an Ireland rugby game, you know? You need to be good across the entire back row division. <laughs> it's not enough to excel in just one back row position. Yeah. It's just you need, you need all the meats of the back row stew <laughs> to get that uh, bauble from RT. And listen, I, I'm, I'm, all, I'm, I'm 100% behind it. This was a yeah. This one was a no-brainer. To be fair, he scored two tries involved. It really a couple was. of others was really good. And Farrell went on to absolutely lavish him with praise. So that's all fine. What I'm interested in, Simon, is that maybe aside from tight head prop being an open side flanker for a long time, is seen as the most specialist position. You you had to be this groundhog. Mm-hmm. You had to be Johnny O'Concrete. You know this kind of character. Um, I love that that's the name that comes immediately to mind for you. Uh, we're going back to a certain era in Irish I would have gone with Martin Ireland. Williams. I mean, you know, I like I love Johnny O'Concrete. Uh, you know, I bow to no man in my admiration for Johnny O'Concrete, but isn't Mar- well, surely Martin Williams, Simon? Yeah, George like Smith, Neil Back, Josh Cronfeld, all better answers on. Yeah, but it's you. funny because now, like, now Josh van der Fleer is the only actual seven, it looks like, going on the plane. So we literally, yeah. we, we could quite easily just have no natural whatever you want to call them sevens in the squad mm. after a game if he gets injured yeah. but obviously they've decided the likes of Doris can shift over there if necessary I've actually lost respect for all other sevens because Doris put his hand to seven so easily but <laughs> yeah he was brilliant and actually weirdly we normally produce a ton of sevens and trying to fit them all in but Josh van der Fleer is our only um, expert there and Doris Galizzi fit in. Now, Peter Omani has done it before, but I actually think Doris looked better at seven than Peter Omani does. The other one is 15, obviously, that we've no real backup to Hugo Keenan. But it looks like it's probably Jimmy O'Brien now. But I think the most relevant performance was Crowley. Mm-hmm. And when you consider how few chances he's had with Munster Ireland, uh, he's doing extremely well. And this, again, is in a position where I think you need more time than any other to get those patterns right, to feel comfortable. There's so much coming at you. There's so many variables. And I think he'll get better quite quickly. And you just feel like even in the few games before the World Cup and in the group games, if he keeps playing and keeps getting chances, I think he's gone ahead of Ross Byrne, given the way the end of the season happened provincially. Uh, Ross Byrne tapered off, or I think his performance has got a little bit worse as it went down to the last stages, and Crowley's got better. And then Frawley got 40 minutes. And given they only have three warm-up games, I think that's significant because they keep giving him chances. 
And Farrell is so good at this and quite obvious with it. You know, he spots something he likes in somebody and he keeps giving them chances and he knows what the plan is for them. He likes them. And no matter what's happening with their province or with injuries or whatever's happened with Frawley, he kind of eventually gets them in and gets the best out of them. And Frawley did well without being outstanding, but he can cover 10, 12, 15. So he's that utility back on the bench potentially in one of the group games. And I actually think he'll go to the World Cup. Yeah, and Andy Farrell obviously has more latitude to give all these players game time because of Johnny Sexton's maybe not so unfortunate ban from the warm up matches. Uh, you know, he get the other tens get to actually get a bit of cohesion going and get to we get to see how good they might be in in case they're needed in the World Cup itself. Johnny Sexton, Murphy, more good news is back from his groin injury and will take part in a training session against Portugal on Wednesday. Training session. I said, not a match. Mm-hmm. I know what you're thinking. Hang on a second. Isn't he okay. banned for three games? The behind-closed-door no, no, no. session will not be a training what are you talking match. talking about on this? Murph, it will not be a training match per se. It is likely to contain some controlled contact around scrums and malls, say the reports. So just to be clear, not a match. Not a match. This is this is ridiculous. This happens all the time, Owen. I don't know why you're making a big song and dance about it now. Of, of course, various inter- international teams travel to other international team camps to play in uh, controlled scrum and <laughs> set piece uh, situations, not a match. There will obviously also be some, you know, broken play. Uh, sometimes, you know, bit. in between the scrums, uh, they'll also probably take a short fifteen-minute break uh, in the middle of the in the middle of the controlled session, uh, where the teams will take on board some words from management. Uh, perhaps go back into the dressing room, uh, make a few positional switches for the controlled uh, uh, set piece uh, situations. Uh, but on like uh, what what an opportunity for the Portuguese team to come across and see high performance in action. You know, um, they should do the full national anthems, fireworks, bands, the <laughs> yeah, whole lot. Ab- absolutely, you know, this is what world rugby should be encouraging. You know, uh, the hand of friendship, the hand of comedy, stretched from you know one of the tier one nations to one of the tier two nations. And uh, yeah, just just a good news story all round on. Well done, Ireland. Well done, Portugal. Well done, the great game of rugby. This is your Bank Holiday podcast. Ken will be back tomorrow with a football pod for World Service members only. You can sign up now on secondcaptains.com for just five euro a month plus VAT, just in time for the new Premier League season. It's penalty shootouts everywhere you look at the moment. The Community Shield was decided by one. Your man Aaron Ramsdale, the hero there, Murph. And I was quite taken with mm-hmm. how wildly Arsenal celebrated that. In, in, in honesty, not oh, very important competition. Oh, the celebration again. But oh, I enjoyed it. No, that's, I'm saying I was taken by it. I didn't say I didn't like it. I just said I enjoyed it. Well, uh, anyway, as regards celebrating, Cardi Lloyd, nobody has to worry anymore about, about policing the American celebrations at the World Cup because there weren't any at the weekend. They were knocked out in... There have been a couple. We'll mention the England one this morning in a second. But the American one was just one of the best I've ever seen. It had yeah. what m- many don't have, a proper momentum swing where yeah. the US have a kick to win it and the shot from behind the players is amazing, behind the teammates, because they're starting to celebrate. They're all peeling off thinking about how are we yeah. going to celebrate this. And that one's actually missed. Turns around, their goalkeeper, oh God, you've got to feel sorry for Alyssa Nair. She, say, I think she saved one. She scored one herself. Great penalty. And I thought save the winning penalty kick, um, but yeah. technology says no. It just about crept over the line. She got one touch to it, got another touch to it, and uh, Hawkeye, whatever you call it, says drama. it's a goal. Unbelievable! Yeah. So and, celebration, uh, you know, there. The, the, Don't have to. And yeah. we deserved it because the game was absolutely bloody awful. 
uh, it was such a bad game, like such so low quality even compared to England Nigeria today. Um, but the penalty shootout was like insanely dramatic. Megan Rapino laughing her way back to the halfway line after missing her penalty, uh, her penalty as well. I'm like, Megan, I mean. You know, Hang I mean, on a second. You, so whatever, you're, you're the, what are you, the, the yeah, commiseration police? I don't know what you'd call this. Yeah. We're now judging him. Now, in fairness, I think your criticism is mild compared to what Megan Rapino and her teammates are getting in the US because there yeah. are no shortage of people ready to bash this team at the best of times. And I think a lot of those people would be quite pleased that it was Megan Rapino who was one of the players who missed, given yeah. how forthright she's been and how impressive she's been I mean, over do, the years. Do these people not even love their causes. country on? Mm, yeah, no, there's Do these a, a people lot, not even love their country? There's a lot going on in the last couple of days since then. England really are through against Nigeria. Nigeria, once again, proving they were probably better than a lot of people expected them to be. Top 10 no, in the world, I'd say. Them to be For me, well, exactly, well, I would yeah. say they're, in, they're a top 10 team in the world. I had the tweet <laughs> ready to go, my opinion. Yeah, because Vera Pau <laughs> did say they're top 10, even though they're ranked 40 or whatever. I was ready to go with the Okay, so Vera was right. They are top 10 if they gotten yeah. through, which they, oh, they, they were playing against... Uh, against Ten players for a good bit of it, but couldn't make it through and hit a couple of shockers of penalties oh, in the, my God. the first yeah, couple. Really it was bad. one miles wide, one miles over. I was quite impressed with Chloe Kelly's winning kick. It was sort of like a hitch kick she did before yeah. actually striking the ball. Absolutely uh, reefed and then reefed in the corner. It. Like, yeah. 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 No, it was, uh, and again, England absolutely blessed to be going through. Uh, and Lauren James is sending off. I mean, if they'd lost the penalty shootout, I can only imagine what would have happened there. Um, so, to, uh, because not everyone's obviously seen this. So, what did, Lauren, what did Lauren James do? So, Lauren James in the in the last game of the of the group stages, uh, England won six one. She got yeah. two insanely brilliant goals. Got a third ruled out for an offside that wasn't even her. An offside in the build up. She was ridiculously good. This is Reese James, younger sister. Uh, she was absolutely brilliant. But for the entire game today, she was just really well marshaled by Nigeria. Didn't really get much of a kick, to be honest. Uh, and then it looked like she was just about to be taken off. Like the two subs waiting on the sideline. Uh, it looked like she was going to be one of the players to be taken off. Uh, she got kind of like bullied off the ball. Uh, someone, uh, the Nigerian player, pushed her out of the way. Uh, the Nigerian player fell over. Uh, Lauren James fell over as well. As she got up, she stood on her back. Like, it wasn't, like, a vicious stamp, but it was a stamp. Like, there is no, absolutely no doubt about it. She was given a yellow card straight away, but as you were seeing, seeing the replays, it was like, there's no way VAR is going to be, uh, is going to allow her to get away with this. Uh, and that's absolutely what happened. VAR went back, yellow card cancelled, red card in its place. And uh, at that stage, England looked kind of, yeah. they looked they looked beaten, you know. Um, so the, for them to hang on through extra time, and that's what they did. They hung on through extra time. Uh, and get it to penalties. So England march on, and you know it's kind of like it's kind of opening up for them. You know, um, we'll see how the Australia uh, Denmark game goes. Uh, that's being played as we speak. That's, yeah, but, that's um, one nil at half time, Earth. But uh, once that's that's probably gone to penalties uh, by the time people are listening to this. Part. Mm. One nil Ars- uh, Australia. One nil Australia. Yeah, four to twenty nine. Okay. Okay, thank you for the update. That was a tough so group in, wasn't There's it? one of those pointless <laughs> updates I've given everybody on a match that yeah. has changed well, and has been me, completed though. by the time they you hear it. to me. The podcast. Yeah. Okay, let's get on with our Shane chat. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. before to win here to get a series win you know it probably wasn't something you thought about as a young fella but now there'll be young fellas at home in Ireland will be you know dreaming of playing for Ireland you know winning winning over here you know what I mean it, it'll have been done before it won't be it won't be the task that it was and um, you know it'll never be taken away from that group that they're the first ones to do it not only win once but win a series here
and we send you greetings wherever you happen to be listening to this broadcast. We're full of tears, and it's Ireland who have beaten New Zealand to close out the series. I'll repeat it, in case you didn't hear us the first time. Ireland have beaten New Zealand on a clear scoreline of Ireland 32, New Zealand 22. New Zealand belongs to Ireland. These warm-up games can be tricky historically, so a comfortable win against Italy, no major injuries. That's got to be considered a good start to Ireland's pre-tournament build-up. We're going to be hearing plenty from Shane Horgan over the next couple of months. How are you keeping, Shane? Yeah, good. Excited by the World Cup, if not by uh, the games at the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what warm-ups are all about. Listen, I mean, I think everyone remembers Bayonne and all that. We're actually playing another warm-up match there in a couple of weeks, so we might talk more about that at that stage. But the one that people mightn't remember as much was against Italy in Belfast 2007, which was supposed to be our final warm-up, certainly our final one uh, here at home. And that was a... Grueler. Simon was at it. O'Gara had to score a late try. I don't know if that was the start of the rot or not, but it's, it's just indicative that these things can oftentimes have gone against us in recent years. So we should probably just be happy with a comfortable win at the weekend. Yeah, I don't know if they can necessarily set you up brilliantly for a World Cup, but there's definitely something in going into a World Cup with a sort of bad streak of games, especially from an Ireland perspective, because we have a history and you can start looking over your shoulders. I've always had sort of a terrible lead into the World Cup. My two World Cups, I was um, injured for both. So I was, um, I didn't play a game. I got injured against Scotland um, in the Six Nations and then didn't play a game till the opening game of the World Cup. What year, what year was that? That was in 2003 and that was, you know, that was, well, by a long way, my best World Cup. But that's not saying much given that was 2007. <laughs> but it was, um, you know, I felt brilliantly going into that World Cup and, and the fact that I hadn't played games. I hadn't played a game in six months or maybe, no, actually nine months beforehand. Um I think I've told you this before. I, I think I was, you know, struggling just about to get into the team uh, for that game against Scotland. And by the time the World Cup came around, I hadn't played for nine months. I was the first, one of the first names on the team sheet. I felt like so. Uh, sometimes you're better off not playing in these games. Um, in 2007, the build up to that, which was, you know a disaster all the way started uh, with an away game against Scotland and um, I was on the subs and warming up before uh, the actual game and um, I uh, popped my knee so uh, again that was sort of a race to get fit so I missed you know the warm up games and actually the first game of the World Cup as well but uh, you're right 2007 um, all those games including Italy um, the trip down to Bayonne, it was, it just felt like, uh, you know, a, a kind of a, an on-running disaster. And although you think we'll get it right, we'll put it right, we'll put it right, that did flow into the World Cup and, and you know, we never did put it right. So, you know, in the context of that and last time, you know, there was, I think there was that particularly uh, poor defeat uh, against England last time out, in that sort of context, a very comfortable uh, first win against Italy was just about what Ireland would want. Shane, what was the environment like? I know you weren't playing, but like, are are the players extra touchy, extra nervous? Because like, it's the biggest thing on the line. At the same time, they're trying to show to their coach how good they are, particularly for those fringe lads, lads who may or may not make it. Yeah, there there is a lot of tension, and and um, there's a group or a cohort who are thinking, well, they know they're in the World Cup, and they're very focused on that World Cup. 
uh, you know, they're, they're definitely concerned about getting injured. And Ireland, again, has a sort of a history of, you know, big players getting injured before the World Cup. And I always think of, um, you know, Wally, uh, you know, and I don't think he ever came back from, from that injury. And no. um, I think, did Jordan get injured in that same game? The, Jordan Murphy broke yeah. a leg. No, it was a different one, yeah. So... Yeah, so there was, you know, and and, and then sort of Drico and and uh, his was it his cheekbone or eye socket or you know whatever happened to him. So um, there was this, you know, that's always on the horizon. And then you've got another cohort of players who aren't or are certain about um, you know their involvement in the World Cup, and that is tricky because you've got a group of players who are trying to show themselves off. And we all know the best way to show yourself off is to work within the team and to work to the plan and then take the opportunity as it presents itself. But, you know, we're all human and we don't all naturally go, well, I'll just wait for my opportunity to come about and then I'll take it, um, you know, in a very controlled manner. No, you're not. You're like, how can I force something to, you know, to, to, get, to, to, to show what I'm capable of and, you know, put me front of mind for selection? And those two things often rub up against, um, the, the, you know, each other. I felt... Watching the game on Saturday, Stockdale was a little bit like that at the weekend. You could see, you know, he wanted involvements. He wanted to show I'm here. Like his fall has been, you know, so must be so difficult. And, and I, you could almost see him thinking about, you know, what am I doing here? I should be, I should be, you know, I was the top of the tree just a couple of years ago. The team is going great. It's a World Cup. I need to get into it. And, you know, um, he did some, he did some positive things. He got a lot of touches, but, you know, he had a couple of negative points as well. But I, I could also see him thinking, I need to do something to get into the, into the squad. That, that idea you mentioned, I know somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but uh, that maybe you're better off out of the warm-up games entirely. That is the case for Johnny Sexton. And is there an argument that he actually is better off? I mean, he's fit now. He's, he seems to have recovered from his groin injury. Gets to play these behind-closed-doors matches anyway. There was uh, Johnny Sexton's going to take part in a training session, is what they're calling it, involving the Ireland and Portugal teams on Wednesday. The behind-closed-doors session will not be a training match per se, reports Jerry Thornley. More, it is likely... <laughs> I, I know, it is likely to contain some controlled contact around scrums and malls. Firstly, does that, that all, like, does that make a bit of a mockery of the three-match ban, that he can actually play this match-slash-training session? Well, you can see, you know, it's, it's not real. I don't think so. You know, there's an element of it that seems a little bit absurd, but it won't be a full match. You know, Ireland are capable of manufacturing that with Irish players, you know, or, you know, and so you would get, you know, a similar um, similar outcome, I'm sure. Um, you know, Johnny doesn't have a training ban. And um, this is training. There's contact in training. Listen, there's a bit of it that, that doesn't sound great, does it? But like, it's obviously what was going to happen. But, I don't think Johnny Sexton needs a game before the World Cup. Um, I'm not, I'm no longer, and I think, you know, at one point I was a sort of an advocate of players needing really a significant amount of game time to get up to speed. That's not the way these players work anymore. Certainly the ones that are, um, you know, used to playing for Ireland um, and have done for a long period because... And they switch in and switch out of top level games all the time. It's part of what Ireland do, um, and they have such a you know a high base of um, you know a fitness and skill that um, they don't always need you know they don't need those couple of games to bed in. They can actually deliver it. Now, not everyone's like that, and I think if you've got too many players with an enforced break and then coming in, then you see a little bit of a drop off. And if players aren't used to doing it, you see a little bit of a drop off. Um, 
you know, for example, I thought the skill level against Italy, although you know, was a, you know, the performance was fine. You know, there's a lot of inside shoulder passing. There was a lot of not quite perfect accuracy of the breakdown. So when you have a whole collective team coming into the first game, I don't think that's ideal. But where you know an individual is slotting in, I don't think it's a problem. And Sexton has done it so many times. If anybody's capable of doing it, uh, he is. And you know that point that you made there about. You know, do you get better? Listen, it doesn't apply for not being in the team. It doesn't apply for Sexton, obviously, but there kind of is something in that. And and I benefited from it in two World Cups, especially in two thousand and three. It was it was a big thing. You know, there wasn't. Um, I was honestly, you know, I was under pressure for my place in in February, and then I, I you know, I remember um, uh, Eddie O'Sullivan saying, you know, if you get fit, if you're fit you will go to, to Australia, which gave me a real comfort to be able to sort of train and, and not have the pressure of performing in, in warm-up games. The only thing with Sexton, I would say, is both his age and the fact that he's coming off an injury. But I think we have that Romania game in the World Cup, which is going to be extremely easy, and he can ease himself in and treat that almost like a World Cup warm-up game. But Paul O'Connell, sometimes this is spin, but he was saying last week, you know, this is a positive for us in many ways because we get to have Crowley and Ross Byrne and Frawley kind of manage the week from the very start and know without a doubt that Johnny Sexton isn't involved and I know he's in the training camp and all that but um, what do you think of that thought and what did you think of Crowley first off? Well, I think there are no more negatives in rugby. Everything's a positive, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? You know, and especially the early cap. And listen, um, I, th- I don't know what the feeling is necessarily in camp, but um, I'm fine with that. I, I, I'm fine with with the the, the um, looking at things in a slightly in a positive way because that's what you have to do. Um, um, does it provide opportunity? I, you know, with anything, if there's any negative, you can always see there's some sort of opportunity in 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 it. So, you know, would they would they be pissed off with Sexton Irish management you know, you know um, when you're in in the camp and you're with you're exposed to players and you have a fondness for players we all know we can sort of we view events through our own prism and we can you know we'll be able to explain some of our behaviours away and the behaviours of others away and they will look at it a very different way than say, you know, the commentary that's looking at or the referees or, or them. So, um, you know, something at the end to say, oh, listen, that might be, you know, that wasn't super smart, but I don't think it's, you know, a massive, they're, they're going to be holding it over Johnny Sexton. And, um, you know, they will, to, to, as we just touched on, be looking for the positives. Two of them are, you've got Johnny who's going to be a bit pissed off and, and maybe a little bit resentful of the way he's being treated because he'll feel a little bit of injust, un, uh, injustice, um, which is generally no harm arm for Sexton you know that's kind of a good position for for him to be in where he feels a little bit you know um, mistreated it's not for everyone but I think it works for him was he mistreated though? I don't, I don't feel he's been mistreated. You know, he's no, no. The, no, the, ba- the ban is only yeah. The ban is only up up, no. up to the world. No, Cup it is. And, and that's know, he, he was a non-playing member who was abusing the referees. No, I'm not. I don't. I don't think he was mistreated. I think he, you know, in many ways, he got probably the minimum that that he could. But you know, that won't be in his head. And listen, I'm not going to dissuade him of it because it's going to be positive for Ireland. So, <laughs> I, so I'm, I'm just trying to get into his head their own, and then. Um, you know the coaches will go. We've, we've got an opportunity to have a look at uh, at these other tens and and not just look at them, but maybe put more responsibility on for them. And actually, I think it it's beyond tens. It's it's more challenging for 
um, your nine. It's more challenging for your 12. It's more challenging for your 15. Um, and, you know, other voices in the pack when, when Sexton isn't playing. And so from that side of things, to, to, um, you know, push them to deliver the Irish strategy as well as they possibly can without Sexton. I think that's a that is a positive. We know that when Sexton is at ten, um, it tends everything tends to revolve around him. I think to to greater degree. Um, that that's we've moved away from that in recent times. It's still it's still the overriding feeling. I think. What about Crowley? Then I thought he, he the backline never quite clicked but I watched the game back again this morning and I was fairly impressed actually with his game kicked well defended well generally distributed well his handling was good he he sometimes is a little bit not sure whether to give the pass or not but I feel like his pace and he's quite strong like around the thighs and the hips he can kind of slip out of tackles and get himself out of trouble in a way that Ross Byrne can't yeah he feels like more of a of a footballer than, than Ross Byrne I think um Ross uh, feels like uh, maybe, I don't know, it's an SA, the old school but there's, there's, there's a few different types of 10, isn't there? There's the, I suppose, uh, the, the one that's the, the, feels like the playmaker and, you know, the, um, the threatening of the line and there's, there's, you know, they're the ones that can make something happen out of nothing. Um, Ross Byrne never feels like that to me. He feels more sort of controlled, um, feels more sort of plotting around the field um, and um, you know, Crowley isn't it has that as well, but he does feel like more of a threat. I think um, I was I was impressed by a scramble, which I know seems like you know a small thing, but you know it's you know it's important. Um, I, I thought the first receiver in general was a little bit too tight to the nine, but I think Ireland generally do that anyway, um, and that maybe comes with you know maybe comes with a, something that comes with a little bit more. Um, and continuity in terms of um, you know the, who you've got around with you and the confidence that um, you know you you can stand out a little bit further in that channel. And then we didn't get the second wave running perfectly, but again, that's you know you know first game uh, maybe something that's you know that would be refined later on. But I thought it was a competent performance from him. You know there you know there's not elements of the game where you're thinking well he's he's miles off in any of those areas uh, and he looks you know comfortable and I think that's the main thing that I thought about the Ireland performance that you know they all felt as if um, you know they weren't quite at their best but one you never felt uncomfortable against Italy I think they they feel as if they are be- a, a couple of levels better than that type of team and um, yeah they all felt very comfortable wearing the Ireland jersey and and um, you know, there was no stress on them from that perspective. Crowley slipped ahead of Ross Byrne, do you think? Uh, yeah. The way the end of yeah, the, end of the I, season I, provincially. I think so. I think he has. Um, I did think that win for Munster has been a very good thing for Ireland. Um, if it does feel like, oh, maybe this is, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it does feel like the players are they're walking slightly taller. Um, winning a cup is a big deal. And and it does impact you, and um, there's a lot of uh, yeah, sort of positive <laughs> positive waves uh, from from Munster and Munster players post that. Um, you know, it's been a long time since they they won anything. This is a new group, a new cohort, new players in key, key positions. Uh, you know, along with the, the 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 smattering of players that you know have consistently delivered really well for Ireland. So it's a very good position um, to be in for those players going into camp. I'm yet to sort of understand fully the potential impact of, you know, Leinster's end to their season. 
um, uh, uh, you would be hopeful that it doesn't have a sort of a negative effect but um, we, you know, we'll find out in the coming days and weeks I thought it was quite interesting Andy Farrell was asked after the match in his TV interview that it was put to him everyone's trying to impress you put their hand up and so on so who succeeded in that and he actually named players specifically Ian Henderson Joe McCarthy Caelan Doris obviously Caelan Doris he's, he's in there anyway and Rob Herring a lot of coaches might veer away from that I know if I'm one of the players not mentioned there who's on the fringe I'm like fuck's sake what do I have to do but he's obviously so confident in himself he can give an answer like that yeah, I think it's it's um, it's part of um, Andy sort of Farrell's makeup. I find him generally not really that interesting in um, in interviews. I, I feel, um, especially before games, you know, he gives you the answer that he wants <laughs> to give and that he's pre-prepared. Um, the naming of those players is part of the authenticity that the squad admires and gets to see from him on a you know on, on a daily basis um it's a really interesting dynamic i think he has a, as a coach um which is I don't, I don't know necessarily if i've ever come across it there's a real admiration for him um from, from his players i think they you know from a from a coaching perspective they i think they do rate him and i think the backroom team now as well they sort of you know rate everyone that, that what's going on and the tactics that they're implying but also him as a sort of a man i think that they have you know across the board or generally across the board it appears to me is they have sort of an admiration for him and he does have a sort of a charisma which definitely comes across but also but doesn't come across necessarily you know, in interviews, as 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 strong as it is, because there's definitely something that you've got, not not players playing for him, because I always think there's a danger in that, but players feeling confident to be able to play for themselves and their teammates without additional, you know, pressure from him, but also almost a freedom from him, and a sort of a, you know a positivity from him to allow uh, to allow them to do that. Yeah, it's funny. He's also. Uh Apparently, partners are allowed to go to the, the this camp in Portugal uh, and so on. He isn't uh, one notable part of the build up. I think so far is that there doesn't seem to be an obsession with the conditioning and fitness side of things, like there has been in previous tournaments. They're they're going to be in top shape, but they know that the, the, even the fact they're only playing three matches and almost everyone else is playing at least four, if not more. And even the Samoan was a, was a late appointment. Yeah. apparently. It all leads to just a general sense of, 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 that they're at ease at this thing. And again, with the Irish history, the baggage, these are the kind of things that we want to feel, ideally. Yeah, and and that's um, that's not by accident, you know, that that's by design. So, you know, um, uh, you know, having a comfort in their own skin. And he's right, listen, they're, these guys are unbelievably well conditioned. I was looking at, they had the camera in the uh, changing room before the game, saw Jason Cowman, who's, you know, who, who's a veteran at this stage, but only still a young man, but like brilliant at his job, um, very exacting. So these players, you know, through their um, provinces and th- through the overall um, purview of, of Jason and his team and the strength and condition will be in phenomenal shape. You know, they're all monsters. You know, that that's a thing that I don't think necessarily we, they have to worry about. And um, actually, when you get to a World Cup, um, the fitness levels will be there. It's more a case of, you know, sort of tapering to make sure that you're not overdoing it and that you're actually everything that um, all your efforts are being expended um, on the on the match day, and and you're not sort of you know reducing your tank at all uh, during the week. That point about bringing partners to you know the training camp and that sort of stuff, that's a really important thing as well. 
when you know, when rugby started off, it was really kind of very lax. And then it got into a very regimented, and I think too regimented, uh, because you look at, you know, what were England doing? You know, maybe what were Munster doing? What were, you know, these all blacks doing? And you don't always get the full story, but you get a bit of it. And then people take the extremes and they go for that, whether that is excessive training, um, you know, excessive weights, um, you know, excessive, you know, diet. What I kind of call it's a marching in a line. Uh, everybody has to have exactly, you know, you have to have the number ones on and, you know, you have to have you know everyone has to look exactly the same we don't want anyone with a different haircut you know don't want anyone listen to music everyone has to every single thing has to be the same because everything you know everybody fits into this machine and they're exactly the same they're all the same cogs and that's the way you get the the best outcome and actually someone who changed that really significantly was Cheka. Um, from a Leinster perspective, was Cheka wasn't your average coach. He wasn't your average bloke. He had a lot going on. He's very, very interesting. And he recognized that people are individuals and that getting the most out of Keane Healy is not the same as getting the most out of Shane Horgan. And I think that is something that, um, again, um, um, Andy Farrell is, is doing in Ireland. And it takes a lot of maybe your own self-confidence to be able to do that because, you know, it's a lot easier to say, these are the rules we have, this is what we're doing, everyone's doing it and everyone's following it and it's exactly the same. Or you need more self-confidence to go, individuals are individuals and I want to see them express as individuals, just not on the pitch because we know we have to do that. We need people to be individuals and characters on the pitch, but to retain sort of character that they have outside the pitch as well and not feel totally restricted by a camp environment um, or even an outside camp environment. And again, you know, without trying to hex this, that does bode well for me as well in terms of pressure, because if you do feel very constrained and your personality is is restricted, um, you know, maybe that, that, that can tend to blow up. And when it blows up is at the most, the times of most stress and strain, which is at World Cups. I think it's significant too that, Farrell has had horrendous experiences at World Cup, obviously England hosting it, the pressure there would have been there, the big decisions over some of the selections, the fact that everybody's job went afterwards, uh, then at the 2019 World Cup under Joe, bad build-up, and then terrible displays besides the Scotland game. Uh, my cat the same with England. You look at Paul O'Connell, pretty much negative experiences at World Cups. So I think that's going to really shape the way the management team build up to this World Cup, and we'll see. Well, we'll see the impact or how it works at the actual World Cup. But Shane, I wanted to ask you. Yeah, and just on that, and just on that, side, it's, it'll be interesting. In it's more a case of those experience. It, it, you know, it, it, you don't necessarily learn what to do, but you maybe learn what not to do. <laughs> and and I think that's what they'll see. There'll be loads of stuff that they'll have gone through and said, "Well, Jesus, that was that was not a smart move, yeah. or that didn't work, or that impacted us negatively." So you know, by cutting down the things that you shouldn't do, perhaps you know, there's there's a, a better understanding of what you should do. Yeah. The other thing is, and and this is what you have to understand, and <laughs> is that there is no playbook for winning the World Cup. Yeah, you know, there's individual teams that do things that work for them. Now, listen, I'm sure there's 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 common traits, and we know there's common traits. So I'm being a little bit trite. Mm. There is not a playbook that you go if you do X, Y, and Z that you will definitely win the World Cup because how you know um, England prepared for a World Cup versus how South Africa prepared for a World Cup versus how New Zealand prepared for a World Cup versus how Australia prepared for a World Cup would all differ greatly. And who knows who will win the World Cup this year? There may be a new, um, you know, there may be a new uh, template 
um, for, for winning the World Cup based on, you know, potentially a French team or, you know, an Ireland team maybe even. Yeah, and I feel like we're going to have to shoot the lights out of this World Cup to get past the quarters either way and they kind of know that. It's like, you know, against Wales and Argentina in previous World Cups, we might necessarily have had to play that well to get through through those games. But this one, we, yeah. we know for certain France and New Zealand are both going to be really good in that quarterfinal. We say this isn't fair. <laughs> you know, okay. This isn't fair. I'm looking at that Welsh group and going, ah, come on. Yeah, they're actually getting like, worse. How is, you know, <laughs> yeah. now listen, and they had a good result against England, but you're thinking that side of the draw, you know, uh, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm sort of tongue in cheek here, but it is, it does seem like very sort of a cruel and unusual punishment for, for, you know, winning a, um, a, a tour in New Zealand and winning a Grand Slam and, you know, not this, forgetting you Scotland, know, Shane. I'm sure you noted their result uh, at the weekend. Uh, I did. They get me. They get me. I can't, I can't get away from Scotland feeling that they're still a threat, you know, and they are. Are. Listen, I know that those teams were, were quite different, and I don't know that's it's a very different French team from the one um, that will you know, set out a World Cup. But um, you know there are there are elements to you know that performance which um, trigger memories of the Six Nations performance as well. But you remember that was a very very sticky sort of it's wicked for us in in Murrayfield at one stage. Yeah, they're they're on the horizon as as a as a major stress. I think. We're getting to play them in the last game. In some ways, the way um, the kind of the um, cadence of the tournament is tricky in that we are playing, you know, kind of the weaker teams first, and then two massive games leading into a quarter final. Uh, you know, that means that you're going to have, you know, game after game after game, hopefully after game of kind of wars on the lead into it. It does allow us to have a, you know, more what would you'd feel as a more gentle lead into it and developing, you know, our game plan or just develop our performance against weaker nations. If necessarily that's a positive, and I'm not sure, it certainly wasn't for us in 2007. It would be interesting to see where Scotland stand in the last game, and I don't know whether them, you know, having had a good. Um, World Cup or a bad World Cup necessarily makes any difference to them, you know, or whether that to that point, whether, you know, whether they, you know, they need a result against Ireland, you know, a big result against Ireland and, um, you know, that delivers a performance or they're playing because they don't, you know, they're, they've got a big points difference to make up or, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, um, they're playing with a little bit more abandon and all of a sudden they're throwing these massive sort of passes um, in the 22 that are, are troubling for Ireland. And, you know, if I, my one takeaway, I'm not sort of take away negatives from the games. The 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 try for Italy against Ireland, that movement of the ball wide in that sort of you know was thing was slightly outside the 22 or just touching on the 22, and the ability to be able to get it all the way wide and score the try, you know, did have a lot of similarities and comparisons to some of the plays that you know Scotland do and actually France as well. They're the other team that that came to mind, the ones that will move it in those areas. And I think, well, we were look. I was in Scotland at the weekend and uh, chatting to a lot of their fans after the France game, and they were kind of they think they have a better chance of beating South Africa than they do of Ireland because of their psychological issues with Ireland, and just because no matter what seems to happen, us we always beat them. And 
we were sort of gaming out what might happen if Scotland beats South Africa in that first game. We have a chance to basically eliminate South Africa and yes, therefore go through. Simon, with this is one the kind game. of thinking we want. <laughs> Knock South Africa out in the group stage. That'd be amazing. Yeah. And what, yeah, well, anyway, does that make get us an easier quarter final? No, I don't think it does. No, no. Um, I wouldn't be certain about that. I think um, that might be a little slightly wishful thinking uh, on behalf of. So South of, Africa of haven't Scotland. been great in the rugby championship, but you think that's no, slightly irrelevant? They haven't, or? they haven't been great. But um, and by the way, what we're going to be seeing, what we've seen so far, the rugby championship and you know the World Cup warm-ups, is that these two things are not alike. They're very, very different in terms of build-up for the Southern Hemisphere teams versus the Northern Hemisphere teams. So, and I do think there is an advantage on playing at that intensity around this time, you know, with the time that they did and, and the build-up to the World Cup. So I think there is a slight advantage there. I think that uh, we will see South Africa you know, a game against Scotland, they will be monstrously um, uh, powerful, uh, forward dominated. And the, you know, the ongoing problem with, with Scotland is if their packs get monstered, um, forget about it. It's not to say that they couldn't beat South Africa, but I would be surprised if, you know, South African pack aren't frothing at the mouth for that first game against them. Uh, can I quickly ask you about the back three? Because... I mean, out half was maybe the big one we wanted to figure it out from these warm-up games, as in the backup to Sexton. But outside of Hansen and Lowe, we had Stockdale and Earls, Jimmy O'Brien and Nash all play in that game. Who are your favourites outside of the top two of Hansen and Lowe? I think Jimmy O'Brien is is right there. Um, I, you would um, every time he's played for Ireland, he's looked really comfortable. Um, ac- actually, across the back three, hasn't he? You know, and, yeah. and actually, I think he's played a couple of other positions as well. You know, he's I think he's played in the played centre, centre once yeah. or, or yeah. sort of slotted in. Yeah. You know, so he looks like a very yeah, a player that's very comfortable. So it's what I'm looking at. Who's consistently part of the match day squad, or or you know, if there's there's always going to be injuries. By the way, that's the other thing you can be sure of that, especially in the back three. Back three rarely confirms themselves for a whole tournament or a whole season you know there's quite a lot of, of turnover in, in terms of play, places so there's that and then the one can you know can have a, an impact and, and you know was the golden boy was, was Stockdale do you know and and um Although again, I'm not sure sort of wing versus fullback, which which is his best, but um, it was important for him to get game time. I'd say, you know, you might see him. You might see him play all uh, warm up games. You know, um, I think um, Ireland will want him. You know, back to um, you know back to his best. I think he, I, I've heard he's doing sort of exceptional stuff in training. He looks monstrously big, doesn't he? I thought you know, especially. Um, you know, I think it was relatively early in the game where he he took the step which uh, off his right foot, which um, he was trying to send. I think it was the winger the wrong way after if, um, he was catching a ball fairly deep um, just outside the twenty-two, and his step wasn't great. It was it looked a bit telegraphed, but the guy ran straight into him and absolutely bounced off him, like literally bounced four meters back. So he looked he looks like a monster, but my my concern is him and I've you know I've kind of been in that position before where he is where he's not playing I don't think playing naturally instinctively and once you start doing that you start making poor decisions you almost have to stop and I remember um, when I was going through a particularly bad time it was very clear that I was doing that and Alan Gaffney was our backs coach at the time and he was just like would you stop making 
preordained decisions and overthinking everything, everything that you do. Just take the ball, run, and then if something happens, it happens. Do you know? Yeah. Um, Easier whereas said I than do, done, right? Really difficult, really difficult to do, um, um, because you're you're almost it's your thing. I want, I'm trying as hard as I can. You're and you're actively trying, and and it's like like you know creative thought. Creative thought doesn't come when you're actively thinking necessarily. It's when you're open and you're and it just ideas just jump into your mind. It's like you know, the whole thing in the shower. You know, where do ideas come in the shower? <laughs> it's because you're not thinking about anything, yeah. and it sort, of, it sort of pops in. And it's the same with rugby. Of course, you need to be you know massively aware of game plan and moves and all those things. But ultimately, when you get the ball and you have space, you have to do you know you know you've got an option to do you know kick pass run and what do you do? And that's an instinctive decision. Um, which I think he's he's moved away from, and I feel from because um, it's very tricky, and also the fact even in the you know the tackle he got he got handed off really badly I think for for the tackle yeah. um, again he overthought it you know the guy you know the the, the the Italian attacker you know did well you know he 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 um, stood him up and sort of went round him um, Stockdale um, was fighting across you know he he did well to get across and it wasn't an easy tackle. But he did. He reacted to the, the the shuffle step, and then he went for the knockdown, the hand knockdown, and missed it, and got you know. And it looks terrible then. Yeah, you know, it looks bad. like he got you got really. It does look bad. But actually, I think he should have committed earlier, not worried about the step, and just you know gone lower on that guy and and, and take uh, and took him out. To me, again, it felt like a player who was overthinking what he was doing there. His choice: what I do? Do I go in? Do I step off? Do I you know slap down his hand? Didn't feel instinctive to me, and he needs to get back to that to be the sort of Stockdale that had such you know a massive influence on Irish uh, teams and was a try machine uh, for so long of his uh, the first period of his career yeah Earls had a bad missed tackle as well and he's kind of trying to come back and show what he can do after a long injury layoff Nash is is probably the form one of of the lot of them he didn't get on the ball that much but you could kind of trust him based on what he did last season. So I think that's going to be a really tight call. And I think Andy will want to see more games from the back three players. Jimmy Bryan is in just because he's so flexible and he's so yeah. reliable. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he's and he's so good, and I think he would, you know, he would he would stand up um on the wing as well. Um the Earls thing, the the missed tackle, there's two ways you could read that. Um he, he you know, it wasn't a terrible tackle in terms of technique because he hit him up high. And generally, although Earls isn't massive, you know, he, he generally because of his um, stature, he's sort of a, a lower uh, tackler. He, he was out muscled, um, you know. Um, that felt like someone who hadn't, you know, hadn't made a huge amount of tackles, um, you know, and, and um, sort of got got rolled in in that way, which you know happens in the World Cup, but it's a major major issue. But one first game against Italy, you know, there's a little bit of leeway there. I wonder how Andy Farrell is viewing it because, you know. And again, this is kind of it's a difficult. It's a it's a bit of a leap here, but I always said when players were coming to the end of their their um, careers, uh, especially backs, it's missed tackles is what you see now. We need to see more, and this is really unfair on Earlsy. And by the way, I've no evidence for this other than this tackle and and sort of experience of of other players, and uh, that it is the first thing to go. So, um, I think fine, but if you kind of see another couple of missed tackles if you see him being you know um you know um stood up and around that's that that becomes becomes concerning because once that goes 
you don't get it back and um, yeah the, and you're in trouble like the best players Ireland have ever had you know Darcy and O'Driscoll in the centre never missed a tackle their last co- couple of you know games they were missing tackles or the last you know even season they were missing tackles that you would never have seen them tackle miss before yeah. I think it's harder for um, outside backs or creative players to make an impact if they're fringe and trying to show what they can do versus say like a power play I thought Joe McCarthy was really good but he's trying to make his way in but his job is just to look really explosive and powerful which sort of is more easy to replicate under pressure but I thought he was really good I'm just thinking say there's a couple injuries our depth at second row is ridiculous by the way Ty Byrne and Ian Henderson both looking good as well when they come on you think James Ryan wasn't playing but that McCarthy has that thing like say there's a couple injuries and he's on the bench for a quarter or playing South Africa or Scotland he looks like he can make something happen which is quite rare in second rows anywhere we have tons of them as it happens but I kind of like to see him involved just because every time I see him he does one or two things that other second rows don't do well, that's really key for a uh, exceptional um, second row, isn't it? Um, th- there's a couple of things I would always be, and this is kind of a lot of the positions at the forward, particularly the front row, be excellent at doing your primary role. And that's how you get into an Irish team, potentially, but it's definitely how you get into a provincial team. It's what you need to, to, to get into a an Irish team, especially Ireland, who's, you know, no, every team is, you know, they're, um, attack is based on their their set piece, but I think Ireland maybe you know more so. Our opportunities, the line breaks in particular, often come from from set piece, so that's hugely uh, critical. But where you single yourself out, and maybe where you go on a Lions tour or have you know, become a very impactful Irish player, is um, you sort of the additionality. And if that's someone like um, Tyg uh, Byrne, you know he built maybe his career on, on turning over ball and listen he turned over ball again the weekend he's now added so many layers to his play that he's you know I think he's just a phenomenon um, be identified as someone who delivers something else at a really really high level and then build on that and I think that's I think maybe what you're touching on with Joe McCarthy that he has the you know he is visible or maybe more visible than some second rows you know maybe Ireland second rows aside because we like, Ryan lots of them seem to have even mentioned. you know Ryan Bear, come on! Like they all have, you know, they all ha- are, are in that model have that bit of additionality. I think, um, but yeah, he certainly does. But listen, that's a tough, it's a tough um, area to be in at the moment for for Irish players. Um, we will use more than you know two um, second rows, <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll use more than three second rows in the World Cup, and not just because um, you know, not just because of um, you know, resting players for or you know not using them for for um, early games. There'll be it's a, it's, a, it's a period where you it's a position where you'll take knocks where you need to rest, and Ireland do have good, stre- good strength and depth in that area. Or one game into our World Cup build-up and already Simon has South Africa knocked out at the pool stage. <laughs> so it's, it's some big calls being made already. Shane, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Looking forward to it. Surtout pas d'être pris hors-jeu, pas hors-jeu, pas hors-jeu. Tant pis, ça relance du terrain. Mais pas hors-jeu. Le drop, il arrive Le drop de Jonathan Sexton Le drop C'est terrible Terrible Jonathan Sexton à la terre Available for Murray. Moves it back down now towards CJ Stander. CJ Stander under pressure, but it's trying to have control of it. 
midway between the France 22 and the uh, 10 meter line. Sexton with the attempted drop of goal. Both side the 22. Goes towards the post. It's gone towards the post. It's over. Ireland with the drop and goal. It's gone between the post. Let drop. The ball is gone. The fellas are just literally on top of each other. Away to the left hand side. France have been absolutely destroyed with the final kick of the game. It's drop and goal. France have been robbed of victory. 82, 83 minutes gone. At the start of France, the place has gone mad. Ireland have snatched it from the jaws of defeat. Incroyable. Quel match winner. Quel match winner. Jonathan Sexton à la dernière oh. seconde. Crucifie l'équipe de France. Que c'est dur. C'est terrible. Terrible. Le drop de Jonathan Sexton. One more sporting performance to mention today, the All-Ireland Camogie final. Amy O'Connor, Cork captain, with a two-minute hat-trick of goals. Now this yeah, is—I know what you're thinking. Two-minute hat trick, yeah. But you, what you mean there is less than three, under three minutes. That's what—it's like what was it, two minutes forty-three seconds of like that. No, no, no. Mm. Went back just to double-check this. Thirty-two minutes forty-four into the game, early stages of the second half, she scores her first goal. By the time she rounded the goalkeeper to score the third of the three goals, it was the thirty-four minutes forty-three second mark. So just a second within two minutes to score a hat trick <laughs> in an All Ireland final. Unbelievable. And she got 3-7 from 10 shots. So, no wide. Uh, just absolutely ridiculous display by Amy O'Connor. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we, we were kind of ho- uh, hoping in the build-up that... Uh, and it was a huge crowd, 30,000 people, the biggest crowd ever at, at uh, North Ireland Camogie final. Um, the hope was that Waterford would be able to put it up uh, to Cork for their, you know, in their first. Iron you weren't sure about it, though, Murphy. You did forewarn me about, about the excitement in Waterford, but you feared they might be getting sort of promoted above yeah. their level. Yeah, All Ireland finals in Waterford. You know, I just, I there's only so much heartache for my cousins that I can actually live through before <laughs> I'm just like, lads, just losing the semi final. It's just easier <laughs> for all concerned uh, because it. It had gone wrong early on for Waterford. Really, there was there were seven one down. Then Cork got a goal, uh, and you know, in kind of like the twenty second minute, I think, or something like that. But even before then, it was it seemed the direction of travel was definitely uh, in the uh, going the way of Cork, and it was never really a game, unfortunately. And Waterford's best player, maybe the best player in the country, best Carton, never really. Well, it was one of those performances where she got seven of her team's nine points. You can't say that she was anonymous or anything like it. She did as many good things as bad things, um, mm. but unfortunately, the like the the pressure on was almost exclusively on her to make something happen for Waterford, and you know, so she touched the ball so often, she made you know so many uh, right decisions, but in, in in the midst of all that, plenty of bad decisions as well. So it didn't really even go for her, even though she did get you know, whatever it was, over 80% of her team scores. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, in ways, it was kind of a, a bit of a damn squib of a, of a final, just given the way it was. But Amy O'Connor scoring 3-7 from 10 shots and a hat-trick on, in under, as you say, under two minutes, 119 seconds. Like, yeah. r- absolutely ridiculous performance from her. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Sai. Thanks, Owen.
Thanks, thank bro. you, Simon, and thank you, Owen. Thanks for listening. It's a football pod tomorrow and another on Thursday ahead of the Premier League kickoff on Friday. That's all for World Service members. If you become a member, you'll hear every episode without any ads. The Second Captain's podcast, as you know, is part of the Acast Creator Network. Bye now. It's the second time it's gone off. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.